All right, if we can start making our way to our seats, please. All right, it's great to see everybody on this beautiful Sunday. Love the fellowship. All right. Well, we'd like to extend a special greeting this morning to our wonderful mommies. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. Yes. I send a special one to my beautiful mom up here. I'm so glad she's here and just all of you. And we love you so much and appreciate the love and care that you nurture in your families. And hope you're blessed today and going to spend some good time with your family. All right, we do have a few announcements, so a lot to get through in a, just in the beginning here before we enjoy specials. This is going to be like a buffet today. It's awesome. We're going to have some new members. We're going to have a baptism. We're just going to celebrate so much in the Lord this morning. But out of the gate, we just want to remind you all about VBS, Vacation Bible School, coming up June 12th through the 16th. Kids, y'all excited? The parents are like, yes, a week we can. I'm just kidding. Half a day we can give them up. We have a special thing this year. I'm so excited. Our pastor's wife, Julia Smith, is going to have a special class added this year. We're calling it the Vacation Bible School Leadership Institute. It's a special class this year for, for uh, rising for 7th graders and 8th graders. For you students here that are going into the 7th grade and going into the 8th grade, Miss Julia is going to lead a class during that week to learn leadership and how to serve in the church and different aspects of that. We're really excited about this. So uh, registration opens up tomorrow online on the website, gatewaybaptist.com. You can go to our news and events, and you'll see the VBS, and you can register to start signing up, which we really encourage you to do so we can prepare in so many ways for the numbers and um, for the snacks and all sorts of things. So we ask you to please do that starting tomorrow. Okay, youth, teenagers, and teenage families, we're very excited. It's going to be a busy weekend coming up. We're very excited. Saturday... We're having a youth car wash. Grady, great job on the slide. That's pretty sweet. I like that. Y'all, our pastor, oh my goodness, if y'all see him in the office, making some of these sometimes. He helps me out a lot, but that's a beautiful, that's nice. Nice car. So we're having this great car wash, 9 o'clock to noon. So excited about this. Um, ten, 10 of the students this year, um, post-pandemic, we're finally getting to go to some youth camps. So we're going to a special one in Henderson, North Carolina, that my son, who's a youth pastor here in Montgomery, has taken his kids to. We're going up together. So we have 10 students. And the unique part about this youth camp, it's missions-oriented. So we're going to be going up to Hendersonville, North Carolina. We're still going to have the teachings and the worship and fun and games. But most of the day and most of the week is going to be us serving in the community at uh, food kitchens and soup kitchens and helping with sports and the elderly and all sorts of different facets of ministry that we're going to be partnering with other churches and ministry in that community. So we're asking for you to help us in that. The kids are raising support. They've sent out letters, but we're wanting to offset some of the cost by doing this um, car wash. It's coming Saturday. It's going to be beautiful weather. So you can help in two ways. One, bring your cars and just help donate. We can bless you. We can come out, have some fun, get wet. We ask you to come and let our kids wash your cars, and you can make a donation to help send them. Or if you don't want to do that and just help bless our, our youth, um, that you can make a donation and help support them by um, you know, writing a check to Gateway and then writing Youth Mission Camp or coming and see me about it. If you just want to help our students get there, uh, we ask for you to do that in those two ways. But we're excited about the car wash, just to spend some time together, fellowship, get wet, and clean up some dirty cars. Um, with that in mind, too, next Sunday, 
two very important things. We're really excited. The rising sixth graders going into seventh grade, we're going to be welcoming them in. And then our seniors uh, who are graduating, we're going to be honoring them and recognizing the three of them next Sunday as well. But with that in mind, immediately following the service next Sunday for youth families, for us to celebrate the rising sixth graders, uh, we want all the youth families to come and help participate with a kickball fellowship after church. Uh, the young adult ministry is blessing us by helping cook hot dogs and have chips and all that sort of thing. So immediately following the service, we're just going to be out here having some hot dogs and fun and fellowship and uh, ministry over kickball and just hanging out and welcoming those seventh graders that are coming out. We're so excited. We have 11 of them, guys. We're so excited about those 11 students coming into the youth group. So busy day next week, uh, youth car wash Saturday, and then the kickball fellowship on Sunday. One final note today at 4.30, we're still um, going to provide an opportunity for prayer for anybody that wants to come. Greg and Cecilia Till will be leading it here in the sanctuary at 4.30 for a time of prayer for our church, the community, whatever the Holy Spirit leads. But that will be happening today at 4.30 here. So I just ask Greg to come up for a wonderful member introduction. Well, good morning, Gateway family. We have several new members we are ready to introduce to you this morning. And so Sean, John, Daniel, the Myers, and the Crouches, you guys all come stand up front here. And everybody get to see you. And we get to introduce you guys to them all. As you know, the membership process here at Gateway, that you begin by coming to Discover Gateway Lunch at our house to get to know us and get to know the culture of the church. Following that, you do a four-week class we call Foundations, where we work through essential beliefs of what the church is. And then following that, they meet with an elder one-on-one to hear their story. For we hear their stories, then we recommend them to you, the church. And these are the people who have just completed that process. So let me introduce them to you. Down here then to Sean Attaway. He is from Las Vegas. His mother and stepdad live there, and his father and brother are in Chicago. Um, he is a fisher's farm. He loves hanging out with his friends and working with his hands. If you guys haven't seen that new privacy fence behind the building, the Fisher Farm guys built that for us. It looks great. So good work, guys, on that one. And so, and so Sean enjoys anything with friends, indoor or outdoor. So we're glad to welcome you, Sean. Now, on the very end, next to Sean down here at the end is John. John Ledford. He is the oldest kid in his family. He's also currently at Fisher's Farm, but from Florida before that, where he was an executive sous chef. And I had missed that in your story before, so we're going to have to have some type of church fellowship to let an executive sous chef cook for us. I think you're the first executive sous chef we have had in membership, at least in my six and a half years at Gateway. So we are really excited as a Baptist church to welcome a sous chef into our fellowship. <laughs> Besides cooking, obviously he likes tennis, longboarding, and he and I always asks people, what else do you want the church to know about? You said he's not ashamed to let you know he's a Taylor Swift fan. So <laughs> we're glad to welcome each other. Down here on the other end, this is Daniel Harrison. Down here, Daniel, wave everybody. He is from Jacksonville, not Florida, but North Alabama. He's a middle school English teacher, and he loves teaching young minds and helping shape them to become godly people. He's in the middle of transitions of jobs right now, so he would love your prayers for where God is leading him next. In his free time, he loves reading, writing, watching movies, playing games, and watching the Braves. And he also has a huge heart for missions in the nations. In fact, I knew Daniel long before I came to Gateway. He was part of the church I was at in Auburn before I came here. And he was one of our English as a second language teachers. So he's always had a heart for the nations and missions and trying to figure out where God is leading him in that. And he just wants to serve wherever God is leading him. He would appreciate your prayers and that. So welcome to you, Daniel. Glad to have you here at Gateway. 
Okay, standing next to Daniel right here. This is the Crouch family here. This is Melinda and Mike. Melinda's from Eclectic. Mike is from Montgomery. They live in Wetumpka right now, so we're glad you made the drive to Gateway twice a week here. Um, they've been married 11 years. Mike is a travel nurse, so you can pray for him. He's currently on assignment at UAB in Birmingham, so he is back and forth currently right now. And Melinda homeschools their six children through classical conversations. Their family loves gardening, and they recently discovered as the kids have gotten bigger, they love hiking now that the younger kids can get out and do that. John is their 10-year-old. John, wave at everybody there. He enjoys gardening and playing soccer. Abby is nine. Abby, you wave at everybody too. She loves ballet and being a helper. Hannah never meets a stranger and loves ballet. Sam, can you wave everybody, Sam? Sam loves playing soccer and playing in the dirt. That's his favorite stuff to do. Eden enjoys using her imagination and playing with her siblings, and Elijah likes bubbles, balls, and making messes. Now, that sounds a lot like my kids and my family, too, Elijah. That's good. So welcome to you guys. We're glad to have the Crouch family here. And then last but not least, right here at the front, this is Nate and Maria Myers. Nate is from Birmingham. Maria is from Auburn, not the school down the street. She is from Auburn, California, the other side of the country there. They met when Nate was stationed in Sacramento back in 2017. They have two kids. They got Pax, who's three, Daisy, who's one. They have a third one due this November, and we're excited for you guys on that. Now, I always love when, when people send me the information of how we're going to introduce them because I love how they describe what they do. So Nate is in the Air Force. He's a pilot in the U.S. Air Force. But, quote, I am currently living the cushy student life at Maxwell. You know, and hanging out with the military, as most have not described student life as cushy, but, but Nate has described as a cushy student life as a student at Maxwell Air Force Base. Maria is a licensed physical therapist. She's a stay-at-home mom right now. Now, in their free time, Nate loves playing with his kids, hiking, pickleball, swimming, card games, Mario Kart Wii, Auburn football when it's a good season. And this one just, this one brought a smile to my face. He says he loves dabbling in the hipster life of pour-over coffees with freshly roasted and ground coffee, vinyl records, journaling, and other similar snobby stuff. So for those of you who like those things, you've got a new friend right here with you. Maria loves hiking and mountain biking, exploring new cities and trails and reading and wrangling kids, right? So we're glad to have And then for their kids, Paxson loves his trains, his reading, his dancing to Mamma Mia and the Donut Man. He loves tuning daddy's guitar and cracking eggs. And Daisy loves dancing with her stuffed animals, eating cookies, running around the house with uncapped markers, and being tossed in the air. They said they were thankful that God has brought them to Gateway. They look forward to building community here as long as the Lord has them in Montgomery through this airport assignment. So welcome to you guys. Thanks, guys. Y'all can return to your seats. We're thrilled to welcome you. For those of you who are visiting Gateway and want to know more about membership, we will have several of those Discover Gateways coming up through the summer months. Be watching our website for more details. But the, the second step of that is the Foundation's membership class. If you've done part of it but not finished, or if you're interested in that, in September, coming off of the holiday for four weeks in September and then through the 1st of October, is the next Foundation's membership class. So if you're interested, mark your calendars for that. We'd love to have you part of it. CJ, we'll turn it back over to you. Well, let's stand and prepare our hearts before the Lord to worship Him as He is worthy of our praise. This is Psalm chapter 66, verses 1 through 7. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Come and see the works of God, who is awesome in his deeds toward the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There let us rejoice in him. 
He rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Let's worship him this morning.
Father, what truth we have just proclaimed, that you, the holy judge of all, have redeemed us. You've conquered our soul. We know we stand before you one day, you're our defense as well. Lord, help us rest in your grace. Knowing it's not by our works anything we've done that we can come to you, but simply because of what Christ has done for us, to rescue us from our sins and to bring us to you. 
So we thank you for that. We thank you that we get to worship you and celebrate your grace this day. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we get to celebrate a baptism this morning, church family. This is John Ledford. You saw him earlier get introduced as a new member and got Jeff Hamm from Fisher's Farm and the tank with him there. Let me just remind you why we do baptisms. Jesus and his words to us in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission said, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make Disciples. Now, you've heard me say before, the only command of that is to make disciples as we're going. We do that of all the nations. We do that baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We do that by teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. And these promises, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The baptism you're about to see is, and there's nothing magical about it. These waters don't save us. But this is a confession of one's faith in Christ. It's an identification with Christ, saying, I believe that Christ died and he was buried and he rose again. But it's also saying, because of Christ's transforming grace in me, I've died to my old way of life. And Christ has raised me with his transforming grace to walk and newness of life. And so that is what we get to celebrate for John this morning. And we want you to get to hear his testimony. So Conrad, I think I heard you're the one coming to read it. So Conrad's one of his friends at Fisher's Farm. And Conrad's going to come share his testimony for us. Thank you, Pastor Grady. Okay, so I wouldn't say I would be nervous, but I kind of am nervous. (laughs) All right, so before I read it... um, it was funny. We were going to Walmart one morning uh, to get some stuff, I think for coffee for the Sunday school, and we were driving just talking all, all about our struggles, you know, and everything, and John looked at me, and he said, Conrad, would you be willing to share my testimony? And I said, brother, I would love to. Thank you for, thank you for, for doing that for me. Um, but anyway, this is for you, not me, brother, so I love you, man, and um, I also just wanted to say before I read it again uh, that... Um, in the three months you've been here, I've definitely seen change in you, brother. I know that we we have fights and quarrels, you know. It happens. We're sinners, you know. It happens. But uh, you're you're like my best friend, man. All, all you guys at Fisher's Farms are. So just, just thank you for being there, man. And uh, thank you for that. The Lord definitely changed your heart. Thank you, brother. This is John's testimony. My parents are God-fearing and very loving people, but that took time. Growing up, we were one day a week Christians, and I remember feeling so much pressure to be perfect. I was a weird kid. Well, I still, I st- I'm still kind of weird. <laughs> I had no friends, and I felt like a failure all the time. So at the age of 12, I wrote my first suicide note. One night, I loaded my father's shotgun, sat on my, sat on my bed, put the gun into my mouth, and pulled the trigger. Three times I pulled the trigger, but the gun didn't fire. I fell to the ground in tears, not because of regret, but because I felt like such a failure, I couldn't kill myself without messing it up. I started finding ways to numb myself and the pain. I became addicted to hard drugs and alcohol. At the age of 21, my best friend and I overdosed on a bad cocktail of drugs, and we died. By God's grace, someone passing by had Narcan, and it woke me up. My best friend wasn't, wasn't as lucky. I still carry the paper from his funeral in my Bible to this day, almost eight years later. I got sober after that, joined a church, and even joined the youth ministry team. I made it a year before I started drinking again, and by the fourth year, I was back into drugs. I stepped down from the youth ministry, 
because I knew I was living a lifestyle that I didn't want my youth kids to model after. The next three years, I got married, divorced, and barrel-rolled my car three times. I walked away without a scratch. It was in that moment that everything clicked. I was in awe of the power of God, and I looked back at every moment I tried to die, and I realized that God wanted me alive for a purpose. Still, I struggled with my addiction, so when the opportunity come to Fisher's Farm came up, I decided to have faith, and I'm glad I did. My relationship with God has never been closer. My heart is full. Praise God. John, we are encouraged at God's grace transforming you and just the joy we see of Christ in you. We're so thankful for God's transforming grace. Well, like we normally do, I'm going to give a few people a chance to say a word of encouragement to him. So these are not sermons. These are quick words of encouragement. There's still a sermon to come. So, But would anyone like to say a word of encouragement? I know Con already did, but would anyone else like to say a word of encouragement to John while he's in the tank? Greg. John, it's been really good getting to know you in Sunday school. I know I don't know you that well yet, but I, I love your, your just quiet and you can sense there's just a peace uh, in you. And uh, looking forward to spending some more time with you uh, today. But I want to share with you uh, a, a scripture that's been dear to me in my life. And I'm just going to pray this over you. It's from Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. It says, Brothers, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. John, that's my prayer for you, brother. I pray that you would enjoy his mercies that are new every morning, his grace upon grace, and that you would really shine for him in the days ahead. Love you, brother. Amen. Thanks, Greg. Anyone else back there? Any of the guys from the farm want to say anything? I know you talk to him all the time. Want to play? Hey, brother, I just want to tell you that I love you. Um, it's been a blessing to me to watch you. It's, it's a blessing to me to, to be on this part of this journey with you. And I look forward to finishing this journey with you and us both walking this out with all our heart and all our lives. And thanks be to God. So I love you. Well, we do rejoice in God's grace. If you haven't noticed yet that he's on our greeting team, you'll see him serving. And I just love your heart that you're not just here receiving. You're like, I want to serve when you talk to me. I want to bless the body. And so I love your heart for the Lord and your heart to serve people here. And so we're excited for all God has done in your life. So, Jeff, we'll turn it over to you. I just echo what my brothers and sisters have said. Um, I'm encouraged by you, and I've seen just huge changes, uh, especially ever since that one conversation and just you know, I've seen you just step it up and take things serious, and I've seen you grow and change, and yeah, I'm excited too for what the Lord's going to do in your life, and yeah, so I'm proud of you, I love you, and let's be baptized. John, you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and trust Him alone for salvation. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
But we rejoice at God's grace. So I think we're going to need a wider baptism tank for our taller friends, right? <laughs> this is Rick Steen. Rick's one of our elders who can come lead us in our prayer time. What a blessing. What an encouragement to see folks make a profession of faith and follow Christ. Thank you for that testimony, John. What a what an encouragement. Uh, Ephesians, or excuse me, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary faint heart. Father, we have been called to run the race of life with endurance. Often, Lord, we feel tired, we are discouraged, often are weighed down by the things of this world. Father, we ask that this morning that you would help us to lay aside every weight that may distract us. May we lay aside every sin that besets us. May we look by faith to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We know that he ran the perfect race for us. He endured suffering. He despised the shame. And now he sits at the right hand interceding for us. Thank you, Father, for giving your son who suffered in our place. So that we, we can endure whatever suffering you bring into our lives. Pray that we would not grow weary or faint-hearted, but rather keep our eyes fixed on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, we thank you for those who are serving around the world. And as we think about global missions, I think of a friend of mine, VJ, who is in India. Lord, I think about the persecution and the suffering that he sees around him every day. Father, India is a massive nation so many who are in need of the gospel. And I pray for brothers like VJ and others who are serving in hard places. God, that you would allow them to see much fruit. That the name of Christ would be made known in the Hindu nation, the Hindu people and the Islamic people. And Lord, so many others who need the gospel. I pray that you would do a work. Fathers, we think about our local community and we think of our local churches, I, I want to lift up this morning both Young Meadows and Trinity Presbyterian as they are going through a transition with new pastors. They're looking for a new pastor. Pray for their elders and the leaders in those churches as they wait on you that, Lord, you would give them wisdom in calling someone to lead. Pray, Lord, for the ministries there that you would encourage them, that they would remain steadfast and, Lord, keep their eyes fixed on you. I pray, Lord, that you would provide them pastors who would come in and encourage them and shepherd them well. And, Lord, do the work of ministry that you have assigned them to. Lord, this morning, I want to pray for our deacons. Think of John and Mike and Shin and Kyle and Alex. Lord, I thank you for their ministry to this church. I thank you for how they give themselves to this body. I pray this morning for their families. Pray for Chin in particular as he has some 
health challenges, and we pray, God, that you would give the doctors wisdom as they care for him. Lord, I pray that you would give them great joy and discernment as they serve Gateway, that you would give them grace and wisdom to love and care for this body. Lord, I pray that we as a body would be grateful for their ministry and the calling to which you've called them to. Lord, this morning as we hear from Grady, I ask, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Lord, what a blessing it is to sit under the preaching of your word week in and week out. This is a gift from you. I pray that this morning as Grady proclaims your truth, that, Lord, you would give him clarity and wisdom and that your spirit would speak through him and that we would hear and understand and apply the word, your word, to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in and through the preaching of your word. We thank you for this morning and we give you all the praise and glory in Christ's name. Fourth graders, you're dismissed to kids' worship. We have Pastor CJ this morning, so first to fourth graders. You can head to kids' worship and parents when the service is over. If you will just head to the blue hallway in the gym building, you will be able to pick up your kids from there at the conclusion of the service today. Well, as they're going, once you find First Peter chapter 4 and your copy of God's Word, First Peter chapter 4, if you're visiting Gateway, we are in a year-long journey through First Peter. Yes, we're taking a whole year to get through these five chapters. Today is week number 44 of it. We are in the home stretch of First Peter and excited about wrapping it up through the month of May and June, and then we'll finish up the first week of July, Lord willing. But we're in First Peter chapter 4 this morning. As we're in First Peter 4, we're in the middle of Peter's final teaching on the topic of suffering in this letter. As we said before, in every chapter of 1 Peter, Peter has addressed the topic of suffering. And now at the end of chapter 4, what we've seen the last few weeks and what we'll see again next week, this is probably the richest teaching in all of Scripture on the topic of suffering. Now I just want to remind you of what we've been seeing in this particular section of Peter's letter. Everything that we're seeing about suffering has been framed by what we saw back in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. And that's where Peter reminds us that Jesus is coming back. He says, the end of all things is at hand. So everything we're seeing flows out of that. That the end of times is coming, that Christ is returning. But until that time comes, Peter tells us to expect suffering. Suffering is not abnormal. Suffering is the normal Christian life. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. I saw this several weeks ago. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as if something strange were happening to you. So he tells us to expect suffering. But not just to expect suffering. Peter tells us to rejoice in those sufferings. Verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. They may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Again, pointing us to the future. But we're to rejoice now, knowing we'll rejoice forever. But Peter takes it up even a more challenging notch. Verse 14. He says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. It's not just expect sufferings. It's not just rejoice in sufferings, but realize you are blessed as you suffer. And what is the greatest blessing in the sufferings? It's not the suffering itself, but he tells us here in verse 14, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In other words, when you suffer, God gives you a special measure of his presence with you through those hard times. But then Peter turns it, and what we saw last week, he warns us in here in verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, or as a meddler, he's saying, don't justify your sufferings going, hey, I did something stupid here, now I'm suffering. Oh, this is for Jesus. He's saying, no, make sure your sufferings are because you're following Christ, not because you're sinning against other people. And then finally, where we left off last week in verse 16, he's told us, if anyone suffers as a Christian, 
let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. He told us not to be ashamed in our sufferings. Friends, that is a lot in these verses. If Jesus is coming back, expect suffering, rejoice in the suffering, know you're blessed in your sufferings, knowing God is with you in your sufferings, don't justify sinful things in your life, and don't be ashamed when you suffer, but rather glorify God as you suffer. Now, as Peter keeps building on that thought, we come to verses 17 and 18 in 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning, and Peter takes a surprising turn here. If I was writing to believers who are suffering, I'm not sure I'd write the next two verses. But Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned these for the suffering Christians then and now. And he's going to take us back to what we saw in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. And it's going to give us some instruction about what to expect in light of all that. So as we come to verses 17 and 18, before we start on the text, there's a question that this text raises for me and for you. And here's the question for us to consider this morning in light of this text. The question is, am I ready to meet the Lord? Verses 17 and 18 calls us to pause and ask ourselves and reflect, am I ready to meet the Lord? Remember, he just told us in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. It's near. Friends, either in our lifetime Christ will return or we will die and see Jesus face to face. That means we're, most of us in this room are within just a few decades of seeing God and standing before a holy God. That's why we sing before the baptism, O holy judge, here is my heart, what can I say to you? We will all have to stand before a holy judge very soon. And the question for us is, are we ready for that day? Verses 17 and 18 is a grace gift from God, though challenging in a lot of ways to help us answer that question. So as we read 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18, be thinking of your own heart. Am I ready for this day that Peter tells us about here? So let's look at these two verses. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God, that we have the very words of God written down for us so we know God's will for us. 1 Peter 4, verses 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those verses that give us a lot of hope and encouragement. We thank you for those verses that are challenging and bring conviction of sin as well. It's all your grace gift to us because we need both. We need encouragement. We need conviction. So we ask today, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you'd open our eyes to the truth of this text here. And Lord, for those of us who know you, I pray you would take this text about judgment and use it to give us hope in our sufferings and struggles in this life. And Lord, I know in this room there are people who have not professed faith in you. And I pray today this text will be a wake-up call you would use to be turning their hearts to you, to be drawing them to yourself. We ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front, here's the main idea of this text, the key truth I want us to unpack, and then we'll work through these verses to try to understand. But here's the truth I want you to see this morning. When Jesus returns to judge, many who think they are okay with God will discover they really do not know him. When Jesus returns to judge, the end of all things is at hand. Many who think they are okay with God will discover on that day they really do not know him. Friends, this is a sobering truth. This is a text of a warning for us. And when Jesus comes back, and he is coming back, he's not a little, cute little baby in a manger. He's coming back as a reigning, sovereign, ruling king, as the holy judge who will demand an accounting of all people. And we will all stand before him and give an account of our lives. Many on that day who think they're okay with God will discover they really are not. And friends, I feel the weight of this text because the reality is in this room there are some of you who think you're okay with God and you are not. And I pray this text today would be something God would use to open your heart and your mind to his 
plans for you. So let's look at this from 1 Peter chapter 4. I want you to see primarily about this text. This is a text about future coming judgment. It's a text about future judgment. Look at verse 17. Peter says, it is time for judgment to begin. Now let's just stop right there and unpack that. He says, it is time. Now Peter talks about time. He's not talking about minutes on a clock. He's not looking at his watch going, okay, it's 11, 17. It's time for this to happen. Here when he talks about time, he's talking about eras in God's redemptive work. What's next in God's redemptive plan? We saw this back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. If you think back to what we saw in that, he's talking about the prophets inquired of what person or what time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So time was not the exact hour and minute. It's the next era in God's redemptive purposes. Now, use that same word here. Go back to verse 17, that same word for time. It is time for something to happen. What is it time for? Well, Jesus has come. Jesus died and rose again. Jesus ascended to heaven. The Spirit has come. The church was born. The gospel is making its way to all the nations. When the gospel makes it to all the nations, what's the next step in God's plan? It's for this age to end, for Jesus to return, and judgment to come. The end of all things is at hand, as he said before. Here, he's simply saying it is time. It's, it's almost time for that next part of God's plan. Now, what is this judgment that Peter is talking about here. It's time for judgment to begin. Now, I want to be up front here. Scholars do not all agree on what judgment Peter is talking about here. A very popular view among many of the people who I respect and follow is that this is not about end times judgment. This is about God's loving discipline and his purification of his people. I disagree with them on that. If you think that's what it is, you're not heretical, you're in really good company of that. But as I looked over this this week and have been wrestling with this text, I looked at all the references to judgment in the New Testament. And not one of them refers to God's loving discipline of his people. There's different words that describe God's purification of his people and his discipline of his people. You have to do a little bit of acrobatics with the meanings of words here to say, well, this is not really about judgment, this is about loving discipline. And so I don't think that's what this is about. I believe this is the same judgment you see all throughout Scripture that comes at the end of time when Christ returns. What persuades me this is the way this is written in the Greek language that Peter wrote. Our English translation says it's time for judgment to begin. Unfortunately, our English drops an important word here. When Peter wrote this, he put a definite article before judgment. It literally reads, it is time for the judgment to Begin That end times judgment that all of Scripture has been talking about, that you see throughout all of Scripture, the Old Testament prophets warned of this. For example, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10. Jeremiah tells us, If the Lord, I the Lord, search the heart and test the mind, this is an image of end time judgments, to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The psalmist talks about it, Psalm 62, verse 12. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render, you will give at the judgment to a man according to his work. The book of Acts references this in the sermons that are preached there. In Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, verse 31, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, that is Christ, whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him Christ from the dead. He's fixed a day that he is going to judge the world. Paul references this in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand, this is believer and unbeliever alike, before the judgment seat of God, the author of Hebrews. We do not know who that is. References as well. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And just as it appointed for man to die once, and after that comes 
judgment. John's revelation points this out as well. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And Peter's already pointed this out to us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5. He says, they will give an account to him who is ready. The time is here to judge the living and the dead. But perhaps the greatest clarification of what Peter's talking about here goes all the way back to Matthew chapter 25. Jesus teaches about the final judgment. Matthew 25 verse 31. This is a longer text, but so important to understand what Peter's saying here. Matthew 25 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him he will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. But notice the contrast here in verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed in the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison you did not visit me. And they will also answer, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Now, verse 46, Jesus summarizes, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, friends, that is a lot of text about what Peter is talking about here of judgment, friends. But I want to clarify in all these. You notice in all these people give an accounting of their works. These texts are not saying that our works save us. These texts are not telling us that we do good things to get to God. The works are used as an indication of what has happened in our heart. The works are used to show if God has changed our heart in such a way that our lives are transformed as well. You've heard me say many times before, if we do not have evidence of transforming grace... There was no saving grace to begin with. Because if we have God's saving grace, it will lead to transforming grace in all of our lives. That means the works that are referenced in here are used in the judgment to indicate the state of our heart before God. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 to 20. If we go back a few chapters there. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Verse 18. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. This is the image of judgment again and thrown into the fire. And then finally, verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. I read all that because that's what Peter is talking about here. If you go back to verse 17 of our text for today, it is time for the judgment to begin. He's reminding us of this certain day that is coming that all the scripture talks about when God will demand an accounting of every person who has ever lived. Now, friends, at this judgment, there's only two outcomes. There's only two possible verdicts. For those who know Christ, the verdict is what we just saw in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. In Matthew 25, 34, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. 
The, the verdict there is not guilty because of what Christ has done. The, the gift is eternal life that comes. Now, Peter describes all that with just one word here in verse 18. And notice what it says in verse 18. And if the righteous is scarcely saved. Now, we'll come back to the word scarcely. Don't get hung up on that. We'll explain that in a minute. But the point here, the verdict is that we are saved. We are saved from condemnation. We are saved from a guilty verdict. And we are saved to a not guilty verdict, to eternal life with God because of what Christ has already done. It's what Peter already told us back in chapter 1, verse 9, that we obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And this not guilty verdict, this salvation verdict in verse 18, it is for the righteous. If the righteous is scarcely saved, for those who are in Christ, not because we're good, but we're righteous because God took all of our sin and put it on Jesus, took all of Jesus' righteousness and put it on us. We are declared righteous. We have imputed righteousness. We have Jesus' righteousness when we stand before the Father. And so that's the verdict for those who have trusted in Christ, that we're not guilty. We are saved. We have Christ's righteousness so we can stand before God. But that's not the, the verdict for most, if not many, people. There's a second verdict that many will hear on that day, and it's a very different one. And Peter doesn't tell us what it is. He reminds us of what it is. Notice his phrases here. He asks two rhetorical questions. Verse 18, if this righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Go back to verse 17, another rhetorical question. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, he uses three interesting terms here to describe those who do not believe in Christ. He says, first, they disobey the gospel here in verse 17. They disobey the gospel. Now, that's a strange thing because we normally talk about believing in the gospel. But in this letter, Peter calls it not obeying the gospel. He equates disbelief with disobedience. Because God calls us to repent. God calls us to trust Him. God calls us to love Him. And when we don't repent and believe and love and trust God, we are ultimately disobeying God. It's not just disbelief. It's disobedience when we do not follow God. And so he's describing the loss in terms of disobeying the gospel. But look at verse 18. He has two more terms. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? This word ungodly means people who lack all of God. Let us think in. This is those who lack all of God. So often we equate whether someone's a Christian or not by whether they prayed some prayer at some point in their life and the rest of their life doesn't really matter. That's not the testimony of Scripture here. This word ungodly is not those who didn't pray a prayer. It's those who lack awe and reverence of God. That is a sobering thing for us to look into our own heart because those who are the righteous who know God have awe and reverence in their heart for God because they know who God is. And what do they love instead of loving God and revering God? That's the second word, the sinner. They love their sin more than they love God. So what is the verdict for those who disobey the gospel, who do not love God, do not have all of God, who love their sin? What is the consequence? And Peter's asked a question here, what will become of them? And he asks the question because the rest of Scripture tells us the answer, and he's causing us to pause and remember what the rest of the answer is. And what is it? We saw it in Matthew, Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. The verdict for this group is guilty. This is the verdict for anyone who does not have all of God, who does not obey the gospel, is guilty, and the punishment is eternity in hell. Friends, that is not a fairy tale. Hell is real. It's eternal punishment for those who do not love God. And friends, we don't like to think about it, and honestly, most of the time we probably rarely think about it, but we need to, because it's going to be the experience for many in the world and Many we know. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Christ shows us how common this is going to be. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. 
In verse 14, he tells us, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, eternal life with God, and those who find it are few. This reality of hell and judgment, friends, is a weighty thing, but that reality is not just for those people out there in the nations who've never heard of Jesus, though it includes them. This is not just for those who embrace false religions, though it includes them. This is not just for people who bow down before statues of idols, though it includes them. This is not just for atheists or humanists, though it includes them. Remember, the key point of this text is when Jesus returns to judge, many people who think they are okay with God will discover on that day that they are not. So Peter's showing us it's not just for those out there. This is much closer to home. Verse 17, notice what Peter says. For it is time for judgment. This judgment we're talking about. To begin at the, notice this, the household of God. And if it begins with us. Friends, Peter is saying this judgment begins in the church. It starts with a church, with those who claim to be followers of Christ, with those who claim to be part of the household of God. This term, household of God, is an image that Peter's already used for the church back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourself like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Through Jesus Christ. He's describing the church. Unless we think that's not the church. Paul makes it so clear in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. But, you, if, but if I delay you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Same phrase here. Which is the church of the living God. A pillar and a buttress of truth. Friends, this is where our text is so sobering. I've been just feeling the weight of this text all this week here. Go back to verse 17. It is time for judgment to begin at the church. It's time for judgment to begin with us. He's saying when God judges at the end of times and he separates believers from non-believers, he starts with the church. He starts with those who profess to know him. That means, friends, not everyone who comes to church on Sunday knows God. That means not everyone who attends a small group or Sunday school class this morning knows God. Not everyone who is on a leadership team or a serving team or is giving at the church knows God. That means not everyone in this room knows God. And so when Jesus comes to judge, he starts by judging those in the church but who actually do not know him. This is not the first place in scripture we're confronted with the idea that there are people in the church who do not believe. Jesus taught it in a parable back in Matthew chapter 13 verses 24 through 30. In Matthew's gospel Jesus tells us, he says, he put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who is sowing good seed in his field. He goes on verse 25, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and he went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. Verse 27, And the servants of the master house came and said to the master, Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Do you want us to go, ga- go and gather them? Look what Jesus said, No, lest in the gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. So what's the answer? Verse 30 here. Let them both grow together until the harvest. It's a picture of the end times, that end judgment. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. That's what Jesus is telling us is is still to come. The separation of those within the church who actually know Christ from those who are just doing the religious things and do not. Jesus directly warned us about this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, that future day, that day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Look at what Jesus answered. These are sobering words, friends. Now declare to them, these people have done all this religious stuff. 
I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so when Jesus returns to judge, many who think they are okay with God will discover they really do not know him. Okay, now Peter's told us that truth. Now what in the world does that have to do with suffering? Again, if you're writing a letter to people who are suffering for Jesus, that's probably not what you're going to write. That's not what I would write in a letter if there was great suffering going on at Gateway. Why then does Peter include this in his teaching on suffering? I think there's three reasons Peter includes this in the topic of suffering. What this truth about end times judgment starting with the church and the many people thinking they're okay really or not, I think there's three things this has to do with suffering. Number one, Peter tells us this to remind us that our sufferings are temporary. He tells us to remind us that our sufferings are temporary. He's pointing us to eternity. Look back at verse 18 here. We're going to come back to a word I skipped a few minutes ago. If the righteous is scarcely saved. Now this is where I love the English Standard Version, but this is not the best translation of that word there. If you're reading out of New American Standard or just about anything else, it's not going to say scarcely. It's going to be saved with difficulty. Almost every other translation translates this word difficultly because the Greek word can be either scarcely or difficulty. What I believe the context means here, the righteous are saved with difficulty. Now, not with difficulty to God. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. There's nothing difficult for God. He speaks and the world comes into being. He speaks and dead people come back to life. He turns hearts of kings and lost people to himself. God is God. and There's nothing difficult for God. The difficulty is a difficulty for us. We are saved with difficulty because our earthly life of following Christ is full of trials, and trials are difficult. Our earthly life is full of temptations to sin, and temptations are difficult. Our earthly life is full of questions and doubts in our minds, and those are difficult. And our earthly life is full of persecutions, and those are difficult. So this journey, Peter is saying, this journey to experience God is a difficult journey, but in the difficulties, God is bigger, and He will bring us through them all to the end of the journey, and we will make it. That's what we read earlier, but 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, we're obtaining the outcome of our faith the salvation of our souls. Peter summarizes that here in verse 18. And if the righteous are saved with difficulty, even though it's difficult, we can be assured that in Christ we will be saved. Saved from that judgment, but also saved from the presence of sin, the presence of temptations, from questions, from doubts, from trials, from sufferings and hardships. We are saved to eternity when we see God face to face and we get resurrection bodies one day. And there's no more pain and no more sadness, no more suffering, but God's presence and ultimate joy forever. That is what awaits us. So he reminds us of the judgment that we will be saved from as we go through it to remind us that these trials are passing. And once we pass through that judgment, these trials are no more. He's turning our mind to hope and eternity not to hope in the here and now. And that's one reason why he includes that here. There's a second reason he talks about judgment here and suffering. Because he's, talking, he's trying to give us, number two, assurance of our own salvation. He provides us here to give us assurance of our own salvation. Yes, our text is looking forward to final judgment, to that future sorting out of who really knows him or not. But what he's showing us is God is beginning to reveal now, through suffering, who really knows him and who does not. God uses trials in your life to help you see if you really do belong to Him. As we've seen over and over, if you really are a child of God, the Holy Spirit within you gives you assurance that you belong to Him. And one place that the Holy Spirit loves to delight in giving you assurance is in the midst of trials and sufferings. 
First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. We saw this like 40 weeks ago, which is like a long time ago, so let me remind us of that. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice. Here's that word again about rejoicing in trials. This is his very first mention of trials at the beginning of the letter. Though now for a little while, if necessary, okay, why would it be necessary? If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, why is it necessary for us to be grieved by trials? Verse 7, he tells us in this. So that the tested genuineness of your faith. Now just pause right there. God uses trials to test the genuineness of your faith. Well, not for him. God knows everything. God doesn't have to do a test to be like, okay, I'm going to put this test through to see if he's really a believer or not. God knows. He's testing it for you so that you know that you actually belong to him, so that your faith is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may result, found result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. God doesn't have to test you for him to figure out. He knows everything. He's testing you so you figure out that you really do belong to him. And so when you come through trials and sufferings, and for those of you who've walked through deep trials, and you look back through that and go, I had hope in those trials. I had peace in those trials. I had joy in those trials. God is using that to show you that you do, in fact, belong to him. When you come through those hardships and you look back and you go, wow, I had a special presence of God through those hardships. He's reminding you, you belong to him. And when you come through the other side of your sufferings and you look back and see God was with you, he has, you realize he was anchoring you in your faith that you do belong to him. These trials and sufferings are opportunities, grace gifts from God to assure you that you do belong to him. As I was studying this week, friends, I came across a quote that just floored me and stopped me in my tracks. It's from a guy named Daniel Doriani. I want you to see it on the screen. He said this. He says, Suffering divides those who truly call on Jesus from those who dabble in religion for a season. Suffering clarifies things. I just stopped when I read that. I'll go back. Suffering divides... Can you go back one more screen? Sorry, there's two parts to this. There you go. Suffering divides those who truly call on Jesus from those who dabble in religion for a season. Our men's group on Wednesday night here at Gateway have been studying the life of the disciples. That's one thing that we keep seeing over and over. These guys were willing to suffer for their faith. Why? Because it was a real faith. They knew God. And for all the people around when that got tough who just scattered and fled, the suffering clarified things. And God allows suffering and trials in your life to clarify things for your own heart as well to know when you come through, yes, I belong to God. Suffering clarifies things. Now, sorry, Kate, the second part of that quote, Daniel Doriani carries on. He says, if we endure at a cost... It shows that we know the Lord and are preparing daily to meet him and render an account for our life. When we endure at a cost, friends, this is God's given grace and confirmation that we do belong to him. Friends, suffering is an opportunity for you to grow in your assurance of your salvation. So again, so why does he talk about the final judgment in this topic on suffering? One, so you remember your sufferings are temporary and there'll be a day that comes when you'll never have sufferings again. But two, to anchor you right now in the fact that God is holding you, that you do belong to God. But there's a third one that I want you to see as well of how I think this connects to sufferings. And that is our sufferings here, or these justice reminds us that justice will come to those who persecute us. It reminds us that justice will come to those who persecute us. Friends, when we endure suffering for our faith in Christ, it is easy to question, why are they getting away with this? Where is God? Why is there suffering in my life? And so Peter reminds us, go back to verse 17. What will become, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And the answer we've seen all throughout Scripture is the outcome is they will be judged. And there will be a guilty verdict to them for their not loving God, but also for their oppression of believers and the suffering they caused in believers' lives. They will give an answer and they will be judged and be found guilty unless they repent for their sins. This means no one will get away with any sin. Now, how does that help us, friends? 
that helps us realize we do not have to take justice into our own hands. That God is a God of justice. We do not have to take that into our own hands. It's not our job to repay evil for evil, as Peter's told us, that we leave that and trust that to God. But it also enables us to forgive. It enables us to forgive those who hurt us. We saw this in Stephen's life just a few weeks ago. Acts chapter 7, verses 59 and 60. Stephen, one of the first deacons in the, first, in the early church who was stoned for his faith. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out. He's about to die here. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But notice the very next thing he says right before he enters into heaven. He says, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Because that is a mark of grace. Most of us, if we're being stoned to death, we're not going to look at these people and be like, well, would you forgive them, please? But this is the heart of one who understands that God is a judge and we don't have to be. We can forgive freely knowing that God is the one who is sovereign over all this. But there's one other way that knowing justice comes to those who oppress us, helps us. It enables us to bless and love others, even those who hurt us. It enables us to bless and love others, even those who hurt us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he's already told us this. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may attain a blessing. And so we know that justice will come to those who persecute the church. We don't have to take the justice in our own hands. That's God. We can forgive because it's in God's hands. And we can bless and love those, even those who hurt us. So bring all that together. Look back at verses 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner. Friends, when Jesus returns to judge, many who think they are okay with God will discover they really do not know him. So I want to take us back to our first question we asked at the beginning. It's a question I have to ask myself and you need to ask yourself, am I ready to meet the Lord? In light of all this, you will within a few decades stand before God and see him face to face. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready for the day you give an accounting of your life before the Lord? Friends, if that is not true for you, please do not leave here unchanged. There's so much in script warnings in Scripture about hard hearts. Friends, you've heard the truth once again. Please don't harden your heart to it. If you've never trusted Christ, if you're not ready for that day, please cry out to him. The promise in Scripture of Romans 10 is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're not sure how to do it, what it looks like, find one of us. Um, in fact, if you're an elder or deacon, would you just raise your hand for a minute? Elders and deacons, stick up your hand, okay? Look around the room. If you need someone to talk to, these are elders and deacons. Grab one of these guys before you leave and let them talk to you about how you can call out to the Lord and leave knowing that you are ready for that day. But for those of you who know Christ, who are ready for that day, this is not just an arbitrary truth for other people. We all need the gospel every day. This is a truth that God has given to you to give you hope in your sufferings now. The truth that God has given you to anchor you and your love for him and knowing what he is going to bring you through and the hope you have even in the judgment. It's the truth that God gives you as well to give you a sense of urgency to pray for the lost around you. They may be in your own family. They may be in your neighborhood. They may be your job place, your school, your neighborhood. But God has put people around us who we've seen what their fate is unless they repent. So this is not just an intellectual text sort of a nice thought for us that we get to escape judgment. Is a text to drive us to pray for and to plead with those around us who do not know the Lord and to take this message to the nations that are lost as well. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, even as we come to hard texts like this, Lord, we thank you that you've not left us in confusion of what it is. You've not left us in confusion of what times will be like in the future or the end of times. But I thank you that you've spoken. 
Thank you that, Lord, we see all of your word, not just the verses that we frame and put on the walls of our house because they give us hope and make us feel good. Thank you for giving us hard texts like this as well so that we can know you and your holiness and your righteousness. We can know the judgment that we have been rescued from, that we can know our mission to make you known and be reminded of all those truths. So thank you for texts like this that drive us to think about those things that we normally don't like to think about. So Lord, I pray if there's any in this room, Lord, who do not know you, who are not ready for that day, who know that they are condemned because they've sinned against you. Lord, would you today be turning their hearts to you? Lord, you know what doubts they have. You know what obstacles they have. You know what it is that's keeping them from you. And we pray today those blinders would fall off. In the name of Jesus, you'd remove the blinders, the deceit of the enemy, be turning their hearts to you that today, Lord, they would not go to sleep tonight without having cried out to you and have found the joy of belonging to you. Lord, for the many here in this room who know you, who love you, who are in all of you, and Lord, experience the wonder of walking with you day by day, Lord, I pray this text would fill their heart with thankfulness today, knowing that you have rescued them from this judgment, that when they stand before you, that they're not going to be able, they're going to be able to answer nothing in me but Christ, and knowing that they will escape the judgment because Christ has redeemed them. Oh, anchor their hearts today, Lord, in the hope of the gospel. Fill their hearts with joy today and knowing they belong to you. And would you, for each of us, Lord, give us such a sense of awe and wonder of you that we desire to take this to the lost around us. Lord, forgive us for the times we've been passive and praying for or pleading with the lost we know and the times we've been passive and praying for and pleading with the nations to bow before you. So Lord, would you be stirring our hearts afresh to be your ambassadors, to take this hope of the gospel, this hope of forgiveness at the time of judgment to all those around us who are currently under the weight of condemnation. So Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your love for us. Would you increase our awe and wonder of it all, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning? Let this be our prayer as we talk about Christ being our shepherd who guides us. Darkest 
Thank you that you do lead us in the mountaintops and in those dark valleys. Thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. Lord, I do pray what we just sang would be not just the words of a song, just would be the cry of our heart. Lord, you are all we need. And we confess we act like and live like we need so many things besides you. Would you forgive us for that? Because those are idols. We think we need all this stuff, but Lord, it's just you that we need. So this week, would you and your sanctifying work in us grow us and knowing that you are with us, would you grow us in being able to say, Lord, you are all that we need. Lord, as you do that, Father, I know you'll be preparing us for the day that we get to see you face to face. Help us live this week with eternity in view as your chosen people, Lord, as these strangers and sojourners walking this path of life, hoping in eternity, hoping in being with you forever. Fill our hearts with awe, with wonder, with hope this week so that you receive all the glory and we get the joy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.